So God, and, you know, wearing a mask, uh, one of the downsides is everything I have set up, including my phone and my computer, I'll do it by my face, uh, which can't be seen anymore. And so I've struggled the last couple of weeks uh, to make sure that I can actually get into my things that I need and access the things that I need. Uh, so it's been a struggle, but we're, we're working through it, right? Technology is great when it works, uh, and when it doesn't, it's a pain, uh, but we live with it, right? So, uh, we are starting a brand new series, because I like to preach in series. It helps us keep our thoughts collected and together. Uh, and so, uh, I thought, where better to start than in the wilderness? Uh, and so, I'm going to start this series and this week with a question, all right? I want you to think back to one year ago, right? July 19th, 2019, okay? Let me help you recollect, okay? It was a Friday, it was a balmy 91 degrees in Goshen. My beloved Cincinnati Reds were losing to the Cardinals again. I was on my final flight home from my seventh trip to Uganda. The news was full of people attacking one another on Twitter. So pretty typical summer day, right? So let me ask you this question. By show of hands or honks from our cars or comments from online, how many of you, a year ago, planned for the world to look the way it does right now? Anybody? Nobody? Man, if you did, I want to talk to you because I want to know what's going to happen in my future too. All right, so, so none of us, none of us planned for what's going on in this world, right? And, and I think we all would admit that life is a little bit funny like that, isn't it? We, we make plans and we dream and the path ahead looks somewhat certain if you were to ask us. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And yet it rarely works out that way. Even, even when we do fulfill the dreams of our hearts, the path to that destination was probably not what we had pictured. The path often leads us through times of difficulty, through times of soul searching. We might feel alone in our struggles. We feel angry or bitter at the people who don't seem to do what we need them to do. And if we follow Jesus, we may even get mad at Jesus. So we think, well, God, why would you let this happen? Why would you, why would you send this upon me and my family? We find ourselves in a wilderness period, wandering around looking for answers. And so God's people in the Old Testament, we call them the Israelites, they had a pretty awesome plan for their lives as well. So if you haven't heard this story before, you're in for a treat, okay? Especially over the next six Sunday mornings, because uh, you're also in for a learning period. And my goal over the next six weeks is to challenge you to see the wilderness differently. I also want us to learn to handle our wilderness differently, specifically much better than the Israelites did. So let's get to the story. I like it. So if you've got your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Okay, if you're searching for it, second book in the Bible, if you're online with us this morning, it'll be on the screen. We got you covered, right? Exodus chapter 3. So, let me give you some background. First book of the Bible, Genesis, ends with God's people in a pretty good place, right? They're in Egypt. If you remember the story, Joseph uh, has gotten all of, the, all of his family is in Egypt, and they're prospering, right? The problem is, the guy that liked them when they came to Egypt was no longer in power, and a new guy took over. And all of a sudden, that guy was like, whoa, there are way too many of these people here. 
And so, as their numbers grew and the leaders changed, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. And they lived this way for generations, right? Gen whole generations, okay? In fact, 400 years they lived as slaves, okay? Think about that. 400 years, 400 years ago from right now was when the modern violin was invented. <laughs> 400 years ago from right now, the Mayflower was on its way to the New World. That's a long time to be enslaved. And so finally, finally, after all this time, we have Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush, Moses, Moses. And God said, or Moses said, here I am. And so the Lord appears to Moses in a bush, right? And Moses is not some special character at this point, right? There's nothing about Moses that makes him special, okay? He was an Israelite. He was saved from genocide as an infant and raised in Pharaoh's home. But then he was exiled because he murdered an Egyptian, right? So God appears to Moses, Moses the murderer, Moses the exile, Moses the called. God appears to Moses in a bush that is on fire and yet not burning up. And so it draws Moses in immediately out of sheer curiosity, right? And if we're being honest, that's what's going to draw us over there too. God has a funny way of getting our attention, right? So he gets Moses' attention, and when he has it, he unveils this great vision for the future for the Israelites. Starting in verse 7, he says this, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. That's a mouthful, right? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God had a plan. He says, I'm going to set my people free. Not only would they be freed from slavery, but God would also bring them into this marvelous new home, right? He says, it's called it a land flowing with milk and honey, right? The good stuff. Okay, although as someone who is mostly lactose intolerant, I'm going to say a land flowing with almond milk and honey. Okay, it was the good place to be. And God says, I'm going to do it for you. God would do it all. And I'd be willing to wager that the Israelites and even Moses himself, when they heard this message, thought, well, this is going to be great. We're going to pack up our houses. We're going to truck on next door to our neighbors. And we're going to take over. Easy peasy. God's going to just give us the promised land. Which, if you know the end of this story, is essentially what happens, right? They literally conquer places by just marching around them seven times and all the walls fall down. God gives them it. But there was this expectation that it was just going to happen overnight. Right? They're going to go straight from slaves to owning the world. Now, God could make that happen. 
right? But God chose a very different way to go about it. And so many of us, when we make plans for our lives, this is sort of how we plan it, right? We, we make plans. We say uh, we have planned to have children, right? You plan to get married and stay married the rest of your life. You plan to worship God for the rest of your life. And we, we consider these dreams, and we often think and believe, just like the Israelites, God's going to just make that happen. God's just going to give me these things. I'll wake up tomorrow, and I'll have a beautiful family. I'll worship God exactly the same way in exactly the same space for the rest of my life. And we think God is going to work exactly as we desired. And then the diagnosis comes. Infertility, cancer, relationship woes, delays, masks, and social distancing, and church building closures. And you're thinking, most likely, and I'm hoping, you're thinking of your own struggles right now. What is it that God has put right there that you're like, I was not expecting this. I wasn't, wasn't ready for this. And for the Israelites, that diagnosis was called the wilderness. It was a literal barren place, a desert on the other side of the Red Sea. And to get to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, they would have to cross the Red Sea and then navigate the desert. This is probably not the plan that they had when God spoke and said, I'm going to give you the promised land. They planned for a direct route, straight to their goals, straight to the dreams, just like we do. But let me share something interesting that you may not know about this story. All right, so if you're in your Bibles, I'm going to Exodus chapter 13. And this is the last place I'll have you turn, I promise. Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. Here's what it tells us. When Pharaoh let the people go, right? So God, God does all these plagues and he convinces Pharaoh and I say convinces, really like forces Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Okay, so he, he, he's let them go. It says, when the Pharaoh let the people go, God did not send them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Rude, God. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. I love that, that little last bit about how the Israelites went up ready for battle, right? God says, if they have to go to battle, they're going to fail and turn around. And the Israelites are like, we're ready for battle. And God's like, I don't think you are. So, so this is where it gets really interesting in the story. Okay, you ready for this? There are two things in here that I need you to see in the story this morning. The first is this. The wilderness was the easier route. Okay? The wilderness was the easier route. Can you, can you believe that? Okay, especially for those of you who know the rest of the story, this fact should be pretty telling for us. Because for 40 years, the Israelites roam around the desert. They traveled the desert so long that there are only two adults who started that journey who were still alive when they claimed the promised land. Two. There was no natural food or natural water. They only got what the Lord gave them. Okay, the wilderness was tough and long, and yet... It was the easier route. Because God said, if I had taken them the other way, they would have given up and gone home. The wilderness was the easy way. Doesn't look that way when you're in the middle of the wilderness. God sends them through the wilderness route because the other option, the faster route, would have sent them running back to slavery. How bad do you think that other route had to be if God is like, well, if they come up against this, they're going to go back and want to be slaves again. Right? It's going to be pretty bad if that's what they're going to run back to. 
And so the wilderness moments in our life often bring about grief. We don't, we don't consider what else life could look like if we were not on this current path. Because life right now looks so bleak and difficult, right? Much like life in the wilderness for the Israelites, that we don't even consider that the alternative route could have taken us somewhere very different. We don't consider what God has saved us from by going this route. Or we don't consider the long-term ramifications of the quote-unquote better route. So we take COVID, for example. Okay, let's be real for a minute and admit that every single person on this planet is in a time of grief. We all respond differently to grief, right? And I think of the five stages of grief. Some of us are in denial, right? COVID isn't happening, right? It's a conspiracy. It's made up, right? We deny it. Some of us are angry, right? Why can't our church open, pastor? Some of us are depressed. My high school graduation had to be done on Zoom, right? Nobody wants that. Some of us bargain instead. Well, you know what? As long as I can go back to church, I'll wear my mask and I'll sit in the seat, right? But at some point, we are all grieving. We respond in different ways, but man, are we grieving. We have lost so much over the last three to six months, so much of what we called normal, so much of the life that we had built. We're grieving. So let us consider this time in light of these verses today. What could God be keeping us from during this time of shutdowns? What, it, what could God be saving us from, right? God could be saving us from our own selfish way of doing church, right? And instead, we're finding new ways to do and be the church, new ways to reach the one. Like, in other words, we're like Jesus leaving the 99 to go find one, right? We're finding new avenues. God, God could be saving us from becoming building worshipers who prioritize our buildings over our love for God, right? He's teaching us to worship in new spaces like a pavilion or our living rooms. <laughs> we were, we're learning to worship in spirit and in truth, which is what Jesus wanted from us all along. Because he could be saving us from the greatest fear of John Wesley. Because Wesley said his greatest fear was that the Methodist should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. So in short, God could be saving us right now in this moment from small thinking about a small God in an exclusive religious club that we call church. If God can only be worshipped one way and in one space, that God is too small to be the God of Scripture. Because the God of Scripture, as we sang in the song this morning, right, when Jesus when Jesus was on the cross, the veil tore, the veil that separated the Spirit of God from the rest of the world. And you get this image of the Spirit of God flooding the earth. That in every place we go, we are meant and designed to be worshiping God. And so the wilderness is a very tough space to be. But I'd rather be here than in a lifetime with a small God. Because there is worse that God is breaking us free from right now in this moment. So consider for a moment that there are worse routes to take than the one we're on right now. There are worse places to be than in the wilderness. But the final thing I need you to notice is this. God chose the wilderness. 
Why he chose it is what we just talked about. But the fact that he chose it at all is a wonder to me. He never told the Israelites the journey would be quick or easy. It could have been, right? Because if they had just trusted God in the first place, they wouldn't have ended up in there for 40 years. But God did not see the wilderness as a hindrance. He saw the wilderness as the path to the promised land. And we, like the Israelites, struggle with the difficulty we have to face to get where we want to go. Now, I've known I wanted to be a pastor for a long time, all right? Because we're United Methodists, do you know how long it takes to be a fully ordained pastor? <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> you ready? Any, any guesses? How long does it take? Longer than seven, right? Ten. If you do it as fast as possible, ten years, okay? Because here's what you have to do. You have to get a four-year bachelor's, then you have to get a three-year master's degree, and then you have three years of residency. Okay, so 10 years if you do it as fast as possible. You would think that at the end of all that, they would just like hand me a few doctorates, right? But they don't. That's not how it works. Now, I've complained, admittedly, I've complained every minute of my seven years I've been in this process. Every minute. However, this is the path that God has chosen. And I have grown so immensely through this path. I would, first of all, I would be a very different person if I had not taken that path. But second of all, I would be a very disobedient follower of Jesus if I had not followed the path that he told me to take. And so your wilderness, whatever it might be, is the path that is chosen for your life. Now, it may be that this path was chosen by God and you're simply following along for the ride. It might be that you have chosen this path for yourself based on decision-making or lack of effort or other things that sometimes bring about consequences that we have to face. It might have been thrust upon us by somebody else's decisions that now affect you or by a pandemic that forces us all to rethink. However it is that we ended up in the wilderness, you're there now, right? Do you know what is on the end of the path in the wilderness? The promised land. But first, you have to go through the wilderness. You don't get to go around it. You don't get to skip it. You have to learn and grow and get through the wilderness. Because the wilderness, I don't know if you guys know this, the wilderness is really only notoriously negative in this story because of the way the Israelites handled the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. Right? Sounds like the wilderness. There's lots of temptation. Okay, Jesus goes into the wilderness too. Do you know what comes out of Jesus' wilderness time? Everything. His entire ministry, all the preaching, all the miracles, all the life change, all the salvation is after his moment in the wilderness. The wilderness comes first. God uses our wilderness moments to shape us and to prepare us for the promised land. How we respond in these moments will change the rest of our lives. Because God does not send us through the wilderness because he's mad at us. God sends us through the wilderness because that's the way to the promised land. We learn, we grow, we're prepared for the promised land that's ahead of us. The journey may not look like we had hoped, but we're going to get there. And so we are presented this morning with a choice. Do we waste our wilderness? Or do we grow? Do we waste our wilderness or do we learn from it? 
Do we waste our wilderness or do we lean into God in this moment? Don't waste your wilderness. Let me pray. God, this is surely a time that we had not planned. This is not a time that we desired or would have chosen for ourselves. And we mean that, Lord, in so many ways. Because each of us has things in our lives that we're struggling with that nobody even knows about. We have battles that we face each day that we would have never chosen. And yet, God, this is the path that we are on. And we know that you are with us in this path. That our only way forward to get to the promised land is to go through the wilderness. So, Lord, we ask for your strength and for your guidance in this season of wilderness. We ask that no matter which way we turn, Lord, you would be there with us. That no matter what decisions need to be made, God, that they would be made in faithfulness to you and you alone. So God, be with us this week as we face our wilderness together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.